Blog Talk Radio. You're at ACO Radio, American Communications Online, or any affiliated stations or websites are not responsible for what guests, hosts, or call-ins may say. All programming is intended for informational and entertainment purposes only. I hope you can hear me tonight. How is everybody on this little blue marble spinning around in space in what we call home or inside the Milky Way galaxy? We're going to bring together some wonderful people to amuse you tonight. We're going to talk about Baby Bimmer Talk with Suzanne Wyman Flynn and Rich Flynn, famous artist out of California. So I'm very excited. Uh, to share who they are with all my friends out there in social media and on radio and all over the place with iTunes, Stitcher, iHeart, SoundCloud, Spotify, Lisbon, you name it, we're out there. So that's what we do. We try to get out there. (laughs) So uh, we're not sure how tonight's going to go, but we're excited because these two people from California, they were actually born in California. I don't know too many real Californians. We're going to have to ask if you say it like Californians or like Funyuns or is it Californiaans? I don't know because uh, I've never asked anybody. (laughs) Because when I had an office out there, I didn't really meet too many people from California. They're all coming to Hollywood to be rich and famous. So we're going to get set up tonight. And uh, I've been working with Suzanne Wyman. Some of you may already know her. As a well-known psychic, she has the best party psychic ever, I believe, but I'll get her to say that properly. And uh, Rich Flynn has richflynn.com as an artist of the moment, painter of the moment or artist of the moment. I may have written it wrong tonight on if you're joining me on blogtalkradio.com. And we are TJ Mars ET Radio for all of you guys out there listening or just love the uh, – fact that Suzanne and Rich are your friends and they ask you to tune in tonight in your social media groups. I know I did, but uh, we're doing this as archivists, historians. Uh, We support visual and performing arts and you guys know I've been here about eight years. So uh, we'll be doing a show tomorrow with James Tolley and uh, all of you are invited to tune in tomorrow. And then on Tuesday, we're having a couple friends that actually Suzanne and Rich have known for years out of California again, and their names are Stan Freeze and Tara Freeze, and they have the Stan Freeze Entertainment Productions. So California is all shut down. They're saying stay in until August 31st, but uh, let's get their side of it. And everybody remembers we got another, the third woman ever to run for vice president on this uh, continent or uh with the United States of America, Kamala Harris. She is, uh, uh, she's a woman, so <laughs> I'm excited. But let me get these ladies, I guess I'll go, Rich, I'm going to let Suzanne come on first because she's a lady. Are you a lady, Suzanne Wyman Flynn? Can you hear me? Suzanne? Uh, what? Hello? Uh, 
Suzanne, can okay. you not hear me? Can, can, I can hear you perfect. Can you hear me now? Yeah. You just unmute, you you just, well yeah. It just uh, the computer just said unmuted. TJ, thank you so much for bringing us on to TJ Morris ETA Radio. We're really excited to be part of the show tonight, and um, thank you for bringing us on. It's going to be a lot of fun. So, I hope so. I want to uh, ask you a lot of questions and your husband as well. Let's let Rich say hi. Rich Flynn, can you hear me now, painter, or is it artist of the moment? Which is it? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. No, I'm known as painter of the moment because I was painting live weddings and events. Until COVID came along. Until COVID came along. (laughs) Good old and the COVID. Wedding, and and the wedding business got canceled. Yeah. So, oh wow. Yeah, so um talk about being a wedding painter, Rich. I well, want to know quickly about Californians because okay. I started with that. Uh, now I want to get each of your opinion. All right. Rich, is it Californians yes. like onions, Californians, or is it Californians? How do you say if you're originally born, what is that? You're a Californian? Well, that's a really good question. You never think about it. It's sort of like an accent. Like, you have an accent. We don't. <laughs> like, what do you, okay. What do, you, what do you call Californians? I guess, yeah, Californians. I never think about it. But, yeah, till, that's a good question. Californians. I'm going to stick with that one. What about you, Suzanne? Californians. Yeah. We're, we're, we're California-born. That's what we say. Yeah. People say, they go, are you from California? And we say, yeah, I'm from California. Rich, your grandmother, was was your grandmother born in Oakland? Your mother's mother? Was she born in Oakland? Yeah, and, her, and your mother was born in Long Beach, and you were born in Newport Beach? You're, you're a third-generation Californian. That's right. My Yeah. So, like you say, most people came out here. My dad came out here from Chicago during the war, the Korean War time. So, yeah, the first side of my family has been, yeah, Californians, third generation. Well, let's let's talk about real Californians because you're baby boomers, I take it. Uh, yeah. I guess we should explain what a baby boomer is. As far as I know, it's all the people that after World War II, Korean War right in there, uh, they wanted the better for their children. And there's a certain thing in vital statistics. But uh, is that what you understand, baby boomers? And you guys are of that age, right, where your parents wanted better for you after – I was born in 1951, and you guys are younger than me. But are you – you're still baby boomers because Angie's right on the cusp, and she was born in 68. Right, we're baby boomers. We're boomers. That's right. Um, Rich used to have that whole thing of what gen- each generation was, but um, I think it was. I, I think in California, it was the movement to the suburbs. It was the first time that people. I mean, my family uh, worked in Los Angeles and lived in the suburbs in the South Bay, which is Manhattan Beach, and I was raised in Torrance. So yeah, and Rich, you're an Orange County family member. Yeah, my parents moved. Uh, they started out in Long Beach in 58, 57, and then they moved to Anaheim. And Anaheim was just a lot of orange groves, and they bought a house. It looks like a small house now, but it was like three bedrooms and two baths. So we were surrounded by orange groves, and then along came Disneyland, 
And that's just it changed the landscape of Orange County. Yep. Anaheim, California is the home to Disneyland. So Disneyland opened in 1956. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I worked there. Everybody in my neighborhood worked there. <laughs> Everybody yeah. worked there? Yeah, we worked at Disneyland. It was pretty amazing back in the day. I was like in Did the seventies. Yes, I was. I worked for actually. I worked for Sunkiss. Disney used to lease out uh, locations for different uh, businesses. They had Carnation, Sunkiss, Frito Lay, and so we actually were working for Sunkiss. And so I spent all day going in there with uh, just squeezing oranges. I'd stand on a on a stool and drop oranges into a orange squeezer. And would fill up the the container in the back, and the people would come in and get lemonade and orange juice. And I'm sure a lot of people remember that. It was called Citrus House, and they had one across from the Jungle Cruise, which was called Sunkiss, I presume. <laughs> Take off on uh, <laughs> on the who was that Stanley or Stanley, I presume, or uh. yeah. But anyway, it was, it was so much fun. I mean, you walk in there and the smell of the popcorn and the sweat and the the noise of the carnival. It was pretty magical. I'll never forget the first day I walked in there and I went past the break area and there was, I'm not making this up, there was Mickey Mouse. He looked like he was about 60. He had his head off. He took the, his, his head off and it was laying on a table and he was yelling at his wife, like, get those taxes in right now over a pay phone. Remember pay phones? <laughs> Oh, wow. That. Yeah. That's amazing. Impressed. <laughs> An old guy yeah. playing Mickey Mouse, huh? <laughs> oh, yeah. We used to watch the... Uh, we'd watch Shattered the, my dream. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'd watch all the uh, all the characters. They'd come backstage, and they'd just be swift. This was in the summertime in July, and they'd just be dying being in those character outfits, you know, like Goofy and... Uh, Pluto and all the all the characters would just come back for a break here and just be dying. <laughs> well, we're costumes, kids. We're just huh? And the costumes. The, yeah. the costumes were real heavy, and it was like like the stuff you make a stuffed animal out, but except for it was you know all over their body, and the, and they had to stay in that costume and and entertain the crowd. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a great experience. I saw. Pardon. I guess. That's something all you people out there in California must share if you worked for Disney, right, is uh, knowing things that the other people don't think about, like you're sweating in those costumes. <laughs> yeah. But true. It was great to watch at the beginning of the, the day. Again, this is summertime. It's hot and it's crowded. You can't even walk in there, basically. But at the beginning of the day, they they bring all the people in and set them on Main Street, and then uh, they'd all wait there until they drop the ropes and let them go into the park. So people are waiting on Main Street, and everybody's all fresh and relaxed and everything. And then at the end of the night, I forget what time they closed, like 11 or something like that, or 12, but the people would come back, and they're all sunburned and tired, and kids are crying. It was like that... Uh, it was like the Norman Rockwell painting where they, where they go on vacation, the people in the car, and then they come back and they're all just worn out. 
it was a great experience. Saw people from all over the world, celebrities and just people that were just yeah, it was we saw people from all over the world at that young of age. It was it was, it was magical. How old were you exactly? When I first started working there I was fifteen. And so I was, it was it was uh it was yeah. It was just a, you know, it's, uh, Disneyland's a city. I mean, it's just basically a city. So you you get to hang out with everybody your own age, and they had people working there forever. And you look at them and just sort of shake your head, you know, like the guys that go around picking up the cigarette butts. I don't know if you can smoke there now or not, but <laughs> people would go around picking up cigarette butts. Those guys have been working there for like about thirty years or since nineteen fifty six when they first opened. So. Oh, it was a great experience. We used to, we used to walk over and listen to Count Basie play in the in the evening, and when we take our breaks, and oh, it was just it was a lot, it was a lot of fun. It was a great experience. Yeah, your your brother met his wife there when he was working at Disneyland. You were working there with your brother, and your brother is still friends with people that were involved in the early days of Disneyland. Yeah, and everybody got people got away with so much stuff and. That's a good story about my brother and his w- wife. She was working in the candy store two shops over, and she stole candy out of there and gave it to my brother and got fired. And so that's how they that's how they got there connected. <laughs> you know, she tells that story differently. But anyway, right. um, yeah, yeah. But um, and your brother's still friends with those people, so. It was a bonding experience. When you go into Disneyland, um, TJ, it's such an interesting experience because I've worked there and worked backstage, and um, you climb through, you go into a parking lot, and you get picked up, and then you you go through a secure checkpoint, and, and then they drive in all these back roads, and then you enter into a building, and the building is just for the people that are coming on stage and off stage. And it is a city. It's a complete city, you know. With, um, and the thing I have to say about Disneyland is is that they take really, really good care of the people that work there. You can find a, a, a shop that's open just for the workers any time of the day or night that you're there and get a hot meal, um, very reasonably priced. You can go to a vending machine and buy a pair of socks or a razor blade and find a bathroom to freshen up in. I mean, they really, really take care of their employees, and there's people that I think there's people that work there that would pay for the privilege just to work there because they love it so much. So it is a great place. It is a lot of fun, even today. Well, I've been there a few times. I don't. Uh, to be honest, I was trying to sit here while I heard you thinking about it, and... Uh, I don't remember. I, I I think maybe three times. I don't know. How how about you as as a tourist? Either one of y'all as a tourist. My my um, grandmother had a great love of Disneyland, and every year, once a summer, we went. And uh, one year, I went with my great grandmother, my grandmother, my mother, and uh, my grandfather, and my siblings, and it was a full day. And Disneyland had a series of tickets. It wasn't a flat rate process. You you bought your tickets. You paid one price to come in, but then you also paid a price for your 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 rides. And um, the e tickets were the really good ones. Those were the good rides. And those, of course, those little ticket stubs went first. And then the ones that were not as exciting were the A tickets. 
And my family always saved the tickets from one year to the next year. And when you got there, there was a whole explanation. If you had a ticket from this year, it was it started out as a C ticket, but this year it was only worth a B ticket. And I think they must have just gotten fed up with the whole process of people showing up with old tickets <laughs> and just said, if you want to come in, it's just one price. And um, that's the way it is today. But, yes, once a year I went there. And my best memory is that I went there with my grandparents, and it was the year that Rich was working there. We we hadn't met, and um, I spent the whole day thinking, I'm supposed to meet somebody that I know. The whole day, it was a really, it was after a while, I was kind of like, well, this is just ridiculous. But I spent the whole day thinking, oh, this is the day that I meet somebody that I know. And I always thought it was funny when later I found out that Rich was working there, of course, that summer when I went as a teenager and visited. Wow. Well, it always meant a lot to me, and uh, it's odd that I took my children to Six Flags in Dallas and Atlanta and in Great Lakes. I don't know if we went to Rochester, New York, or if they have something around, but uh, that's Six Flags. That's a different franchise, but I guess they got their idea. I don't know. I haven't researched it, but I love amusement parks. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. Um, Six Flags is known for their roller coasters as having the best roller coasters, right? Yeah, there's like they have the monster roller coasters and all that. Is yeah. that Knott's Berry's Farm? Knott's Berry? Knott's Berry Farm has good roller coasters too, but Six Flags Magic Mountain is the king of the roller coasters. The absolute oh, king of the roller coasters. Okay, Six Flags. Which you, one did you go to? Oh, uh, there's one in Valencia, California. Yeah, so I guess... TJ, have you been to Knox Berry Farm? No, I uh, had an office in California for five years, downtown at the uh, California Mart, I guess. I think I always called it the LA Mart, but that's with the furniture. I I still haven't looked that up to get it straight. But five years I came and went, but I was always at work, you know, running (laughs) a big I was at, let's see, 89 and 94, yeah, roughly five years. So I didn't get to go to I know we meant to a couple of times, but what would happen is after work and we'd be so exhausted, you know, me and my <laughs> vice president or whatever, we just thought, well, we'll go, but we never did. So, And then my kids, I had a couple of kids come over and get in a movie. Angela and Gigi got into Witchcraft 3. It just happened to be the one that they were filming that they, I don't even know how I got, it was Blockbuster and producers in Hollywood. They had me come to one of those meetings. I was a psychic too. So I had some really strange days in California. So I didn't get to go to Knott Berry uh, Farm, but I know that it's uh, it's just as, it's not as big as Disneyland though, right? No, it's not as expensive either. It's California's number one amusement park. So I looked up on my I looked up on my phone, and California um, Mart is the one for clothing, and LA Mart is the one for home furnishings. So, so um, California Mart then is where I had yeah. my office. Right, and yeah. and that's that's a strange part of downtown LA. So, yeah, it is. Um, I saw a so, shooting in the day. <laughs> I, I did. I, I mean, people drive by, and I'm in a Cadillac too, at a, at a, you know, coming up on a 
drive-by shooting, boom, boom, with guns hanging out, and my poor little Japanese vice president was freaking out, and I was, I was just taking it like, I guess this is just L.A., I don't know, you know, but I just <laughs> sat there and watched it happen. It was like, and I'd look to see if there was some movie, you know, like some of those the booms and on the set, you know, type of filming. I thought, well, maybe I've, I said, no, we're not on the, I don't see anybody filming. That was real. <laughs> I was trying to with guns hanging out going boom, boom, boom. You know, I was like, wow. But you're right. It was quite interesting downtown. And that was 89 to 94. I already said that, didn't I? <laughs> that's, that's a different time. But, you know, I always tell people it's not so unusual that I work as a psychic in California. It's unusual that I figured out how to make a living out of it. In California, there's a lot of... Um, I mean, there's the whole there's a whole movement here in California, so um, it's not that unusual. It's kind of like part of life. Everybody everybody in California has somebody that they've used or their family has used for um, a consultation, whether it was astrology or it was getting a reading or um, planning a date for a wedding. But those are, I mean, it's more accepted, I think, in California, Southern California in particular. Northern California is very accepting of psychics, but they're a little bit more quiet about it. They're just a little bit more. They they say it's a difference of uh, Northern California has, I, I never can remember if it's yin. One is, one is the um, female side and one is the me, male side of the, of the energy, of the Tau energy, but I don't know. Well, so can we talk going? about that on your sure. show tonight? Because go ahead, Rich. Yeah, go. Let me ask a question. What would be? How would someone go and find a reputable psychic? Because in oh. California, we have all the psychics that have the hands in the window for a ten-dollar palm reading. So, how <laughs> does someone go about finding a reputable psychic? That's a good question. So, Dick Sutphin, who um, was really kind of in the 90s, the 80s and 90s. He He's still working. He's in Sedona. And uh, he worked a lot in Hawaii during the 80s and 90s. He said that you never go to a red palm reader. And it's funny because one of my web pages has like that symbol on it. But on the storefronts, on the boulevard, there are um, a neon light that has a red light in it. And and that's a different, um, that's not like going to a psychic. That's a different type of, uh, that's a different type of work. So finding a reputable psychic is uh, an interesting process. I think the best thing to do is to find somebody who um, goes to psychics and ask them. You know, uh, there's this uh, woman friend I have, and her name is Sharon, and she is really, um, she really loves psychics. Ronald Reagan's psychic was living in Malibu, and she was doing um, psychic readings, and this was in the 80s. And believe it or not, she only charged $50 for a reading. There was no time frame on it. You went to her, you paid her your $50, and you got your reading. And she was probably uh, one of the top California psychics at one point. Um, Sylvester Stallone, Sylvia Brown. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, I mean, Carolyn Mays, all of these people have worked as psychics, and they started out before they became well-known and well-published. They all started out in California. So California, uh, we also have the Manly P. Hall um, Center where you can uh, learn um, tarot card reading, um, among other things. But there's centers here. I think there's probably more centers for uh, learning how to become a psychic. 
But I think the best thing is is to find somebody who you like um, and ask them if they had used a psychic and who would they recommend. And I can't tell you how many people I've met that met me at a party and, you know, that was just that's just how they got introduced to doing it. And that I think that's kind of a great thing because if you can meet somebody and, you know, get a reading that's three to five minutes, you kind of get an idea if you want more information. So I don't, I don't actually have talking to your friends and family members that have gone to psychics. That's the best way. That's what I always was told. That I'd say, "How did you hear about me?" And they'd say, "A friend told me." At least while I was doing it in Kentucky. Now in yeah. Hawaii, I had a big spiritual community, so we all uh, got to meet each other. And then we had uh, one of my girlfriends had a big thing with these little bungalow-looking chairs in Hawaii, a strip in Waikiki where all the tourists came, and they made money off of the tourists that came in there. And, uh, of course, I was studying, but uh, I think when I was in Houston, you had to go to a bookstore. And then when I was in Hawaii, I worked at three different bookstores, even though I was still a president of a company and I was still in the Navy. I I don't know how I got around to doing everything I did. It it amazes me now because – I'm old now. I'm a I'm a very old soul in a young sixty eight year old body. <laughs> oh, I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, bookstores were very popular for a long time, um, but truthfully, I think a lot of the people that are um, now today. I mean, Venice Boardwalk always had psychics working on it, and that's kind of a. It's right by Muscle Beach, and I think it's something entirely different. I think in uh, 1982, I didn't uh, go down there to work, but I used to go down there. And um, it was just a place to come and hang out. And you could take and be a psychic and set up a card table, and you could go down there and you could do readings. You put a little cardboard sign in front of it, and it said $20. Thank God I never had to do anything like that. Um, But generally generally speaking, um, psychics that are... You know, hardworking and um, talented, uh, they're able to work out of their homes. So, yeah, there is kind of an interesting pecking order to, I call them kitchen psychics. There's kitchen psychics in California. And these are psychics that work out of their home, and they're good psychics, but um, they just, you know, yeah, it's an extension of their kitchen work. And they, they take and they help people. So, yeah. There's a whole culture of that, and then there's people that work a circuit, uh, and those are people that work, you know, different bookstores and different psychic fairs. That's another category of psychics. And um, and then I'm trying to think of the other categories that happen. But, yeah, most, most of the psychics, um, you know, very few, I think today very few psychics can afford to keep a separate place rented uh, in California and work as a psychic. Most people are working out of their homes. That's just the way that one goes. It's weird, huh? Yeah, I've got one here uh, just a block down from me on the main. There's only a main street here through Gulf Breeze. Uh-huh. And uh, she's uh, she's got a little house with, uh, I think, the palm sign up there in it, like you said, the red palm. But okay. uh, I've never met her. But when I uh, set up my Google business for uh, psyche, Ascension Psychic, I started getting a lot of calls. They'd always ask me if I knew her or knew about her because they could see us on the map. 
together. Uh-huh. And I thought, well, wow, this new industry with phones, people can see where you are if they want to come to your house. But uh, we're all in virtual reality now. So right. uh, I guess, why well, Rich and you both, I don't know, Rich, uh, I've got up here, but now I can't see it because my computer, I, since I told you guys I direct called in, I don't think I'll do that in the future. I think I'll go back to my old way of calling in and getting direct line because I've lost the control of my computer and it's gone dark. So, uh, And I can't control it because I'll knock us off. So I've just got to let it sit here and do its thing in the dark. Uh, first of all, it was like something was messing with my thing. But calling in direct uh, out there in cyberspace, you know, everything's in the cloud now, folks, pretty much, even in right. our files. So, uh, I don't know, psychics, we always called that the Akashic field. So, in a way, it's like a lot of the real psychics had a direct connection to the library, as we, especially Sylvia Brown, if you remember her writings. Right. But uh, we were, I wanted to talk to you guys last night about the Love and Light community. And I know I'm going to talk about it tomorrow on Sunday with that new gentleman, James Tolley, coming on. But Mm -hmm. uh, what do you guys, with the Love and Light community coming out in the 70s and 80s, you can look it up. I can't do anything with this computer right now, but uh, you want to help me on that? And it was 70s and 80s. It was, uh, and it's on (laughs) Wikipedia too, Rich, if you want to look at it. uh, We don't like to use the word new age, right, anymore, but. Well, I don't know. Spiritual, spiritual, spiritual renaissance happened in Santa Monica, California, and it happened in Santa Monica, California. And there were the the greats were there: Deepak Chopra, Marianne Williamson, uh, Louise Hay. She got started there with uh, when the AIDS epidemic there was no treatment, and uh, she was offering an affirmation on Wednesday nights. Uh, Marianne Williamson was at the Unitarian Church on 18th in Arizona, and Barbara DeAngelis lived close by in uh, Pacific Palisades. But there was a large group. Michael Beckwith had started his uh, church, Agape, on Olympic Boulevard. There was a large community of people that were working and living in that area. Um, and it was right before the um, what we were told was the dawning of the age of Aquarius. I never thought the dawning of a age of Aquarius would take so long to unfold. Um, I thought that once it dawned that we were looking at, um, you know, all of the <coughs> civilization falling apart and it being brand new within a really short period of time. So, and I attribute um, I attribute people being drawn to Santa Monica, California, because there's a uh, opening between the dimensions there, and so there's like free spiritual energy now it was a little bit too much for me to live there in that area and cope with that much energy but i really do think i got a lot of sustenance out of that and then of course there were the yogis that came to town and they set up their tents and they were on the palisades or they were in venice so the area in santa monica was really filled with a lot of love and light workers i mean whether they were a guru or they were a spiritual teacher, or they became a therapist. I mean, every single, you know, when you look back at their story, you know, they all started, you know, around that time, and it was the late 70s all the way into the 80s. 
in Santa Monica, and that was the the pinpoint of where the spiritual renaissance started. And uh, there were great speakers that came to town. And I remember one time I had a Saturday afternoon off, and I thought, well, I'll just I'll just stop in and I'll go and I'll listen to a speaker. You know, it wasn't anything that you know. I I knew there was always there was different spots, and you could just drop in. And it was just done on a love offering. And I went to um, this church, this little tiny church, and I stopped in. And every single person, I was dressed all in black, and every single person was dressed in white. And it was so... (laughs) It was so... Talk about standing out. (laughs) It was so apparent that I was not part of the community. And it was this really great um, Indian guru that shared this great story. And it, oh, it's really kind of funny because um, it's a group of people and they follow a guru. And, and the person does this message and holds this conversation about life. And one of the things he said was, is he said, you know, you think you're doing something good that you go to your closet and you take out your old clothes, you donate them to the to the Goodwill, you know, you donate them to the used clothing store. And he said, you know, you haven't, you haven't really, you know, you really haven't done anything. You really haven't made a contribution. And it, it struck a chord with me. And I always thought, you know, I go through, I go through, and I get my stuff, and I, I donate it, or I find somebody who says they want it, and I go, no, 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 you're, I'm not doing you a favor. You're doing me a favor by taking this away. But he was a great speaker, and I probably have never really forgotten that. That, um, you know, people. Um, think they're doing something good by making a donation, but really you're just cleaning your house and getting rid of stuff you don't need anymore. And it's it's more of a favor to you than it is to anybody else. At least that's how I see it myself. So, I need to do some of that in my room. The rest of the house is pretty good, but my bedroom, I just grew out of it considering I brought absolutely nothing down here from Kentucky. I left a whole house full of furniture, my motorcycle, a barn full of everything. And now here I am down here, and I swear I've got books galore. And my daughter keeps saying, "Mom, you got to clear out your books." You books. know. So. Yeah, it's yeah. a funny thing. Books are—I have books too, but I don't. Um, I find there's a very small amount of books that I actually use, and um, I have thousands of books, and it's just become kind of a strange thing because I was reading somebody who was talking about feng shui, and it just says it just becomes a spot for stagnant energy. So. I don't know, but I I don't feel nourished without my books, so I like it. I really do. I'm with you on that one, books. Yeah, they're my friends, and I've always had books, and I had a big book, two big bookshelves in Kentucky. But here in Florida, I've got just a little bookstore, a book bookstore. I had treasure. I had a store. I did, but this uh-huh. one is just a. Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. I have yeah. to. I'm on that phone that has to be in a certain place on the airwaves. <laughs> but books are friends. And, Rich, do you remember going to bookstores, or how did you get into the psychic biz with your wife? Or I know y'all worked at the Tango place, but both for two to Tango, but did you ever go to a psychic or think about marrying a psychic, or what was up with that? <laughs> no, that was part of the part of- yeah, that was the farthest thing from my mind to marry a psychic. That was. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Let's hear it. <laughs> this is your night, Let's Rich. <laughs> Yours okay. and Suzanne. So all my people can know more about who's Suzanne and Rich. And I've had two men call me tonight. So 
you know, uh, let's hear it. Spill the beans. Do the tea, as we say. What's the tea? Uh, what's the okay? What's the question? Did you ever did you ever go see a psychic before uh, or before you met Suzanne? The second part is, you know, how did you wind up marrying a psychic? So let's go back in life for Rich Flynn back from yeah. California. And did you ever believe in them? But you know, it came from the bookstore because I used to go to these esoteric bookstores <laughs> before I ever had a psychic okay. reading. So what's your story? No, to me, to me, it came from radio. I'd listen to radio at night before I go to bed, and I'd listen to like the public radio stations. We got a really good one out here, KPFK, and they'd have a guy on Roy of Hollywood who would come on at twelve o'clock at night. And this is when I was my teenagers, and I'd listen to these talks, and they'd have psychics on, and they'd have New Age conversations, and Alan Watts, and all these people would come on, and um, Krishnamurti, and I just, I just was really fascinated by it. And then when I was teen or something like that, they, I heard about the Silva Mind Control. So I did that program. I signed up for that and did that, which was really great. And then I just started meeting different people and going like to the Bodhi Tree and Hollywood. I think that's where I was at. Right. Or L.A. And then um, where did I meet a psychic at? I think I, don't, I think I, I remember the Bodhi Tree. I love the yeah, Bodhi Tree. It always smelled of incense. Do you remember the smells? Yeah. Oh. Well, I remember that smell from the the head shops when I was younger and go buy records <laughs> when I was like 12. We'd go down and get a Beatle record and get a get our hippie posters and but that <laughs> smell of the the smell of the head shop, yeah. Well, that was, all, <laughs> that was a whole different a, world. Huh? Didn't you have a didn't you have a story about you um went to the psychic and she told you that you were um a reincarnation and that you would meet and marry a woman? And uh, who was that psychic you went to? I hadn't met oh. you before I met you. Yeah. So yeah, she said, she said I was reincarnated Vincent Van Gogh. And so that's when I was studying art. <laughs> I kind of said, okay, I can go with that. <laughs> and well, your as far art as marrying, like that. your oh, art yeah. does look like that. It's weird. Yeah. He has that it brush, is. that brush stroke. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Yes. That's. And the colors too. It just yeah. looks yeah. like bingo work. So how did you? So you did go to a psychic before you met Suzanne. So right. uh, any only one or what's your story with psychics? Any more psychics? I think tell, it's just tell that the one. Of, tell the rest uh, of the story. Okay, so I'm going blank now. What? What? When what's you were listening to the radio. Alan no, so he, he went. He, he went. He went to a psychic, and she told him that he was gonna he was gonna marry a woman, and the woman would have five children. And when I met Rich, um, we were friends, and um, you know he wasn't dating anybody. And I was like, well, what about dating somebody? And he said, oh no, I, w- I would never ma- I would never date somebody who'd been married before or who had children. And I thought, well, I've got kids. That's the end of that story. So, uh, and I mean, I closed that door firmly. I was like, yep, that's it. But that was his story is that he'd gone to a psychic and she told him that he was going to 
meet a woman and he was going to marry her and she had children. So Yeah, so we did that. Well, we met at the restaurant. They had all different kinds of psychics coming and going, but we just befriended one another. And so at the end of the night, we'd all we'd go out and have a cigarette at the end of the night, just talk about our day, like who we saw, who we talked to. Because back in the day when the restaurant, the Cafe Tutu Tango in Orange, California, it was just happening every night. So it was just really, it was kind of like, it was like a Disneyland. It was just full and there was action going on. So we'd be friends and just talk uh, at the end of the night, say goodbye, and that, that was it. And then right. the fix the fickle finger of fate stepped in and a friend of a friend of mine said, Hey, do you want to be my roommate? I mean, I got someone moving out. Do you want to do it? I go, sure. So I ended up uh, living a mile away from Suzanne's house. So (laughs) and she got, and so so she got me into secondhand store shopping. So, you know, we have to get dressed up every night to go into this place. So she'd take out, We'd go out in the afternoon and go to the Goodwill or Salvation Army and get clothes. <laughs> so, yeah, we're just we're together during the afternoon and then evening when we're working. So, but we're right. just friends, yeah. right? And everybody and one of the things people kept telling me was, "Well, just get a girlfriend. You can just stay with her, and you know, just kind of use her as a, you know, just use her." <laughs> oh but, wow. Uh, I, no, that's what the, that was one of the theories. Well, just get a girlfriend, and, you know, you can stay at her house. Because I was living out of my car and, at that point. Yeah, Gigolo was really there. big back then, right? So, <laughs> right. I don't know Gigolo, American Gigolo came out, but <laughs> yeah, right, Pretty Woman and, kind of stuff. <laughs> and that was and that was the advice for Rich God. It was like, well, you know, just find a woman and be a be a, a Gigolo and pursue pr- pursue your art at the restaurant, and it'll it'll all work out. You don't, you know, just just go and. And there's plenty of people in California that that's an acceptable solution. I think it's a form of prostitution, but I am a little bit moral. So anyway, <laughs> well, I remember you know, seeing so the, many people. I, I, it, that? Isn't that? Isn't that? I mean, uh, to be honest with you, in the movies, you and I, folks, I did have an office out there, but I didn't intermingle so much with the Californians. But uh, and that's a whole other story. But. Didn't wasn't there a thing where people would move out there, have no money, no friends? They came to Hollywood to get rich and famous, and they'd right. be really like living out of the car or living on the street. But they'd wind up getting a restaurant job, like or some right. of them would sing or work in comedy clubs to just to wait tables so they could maybe get famous someday. Wasn't that right. the way? That's the way it well, is with, today. Yeah, the way when, it is uh, today. So, so the Cafe Tutu Tango opened up a restaurant in Universal City Walk up there at Universal City Theme Park. And so everybody there was an actor, wannabe actor. Oh. that? Oh, you didn't get a drink. You got a performance of how they mixed a drink. It was just nuts. We were like, God, can we just get some service here? I, I believe it. You're, you're, an, you're waiting to be an actor. I get it. But Paramount owned, uh, owned Universal um, Universal Studios, and then attached to Universal Studios was a walk. And I think, you know, uh, they thought that these restaurants would be great and people would want to go and have a great meal, but it really wasn't a good idea because, you know, people come up to the to go to Universal Studios and they want to go see the shark and uh, they just want to get cheap food and then go back <laughs> home. So it really well, was... The, <laughs> go ahead. 
Yeah, and we all thought we were going to get famous up there. I did. I go, man, this is a great break, man. We're going to get famous up in Hollywood, you know. Right. I thought that. I go, this is going to be cool. Oh. But, and then, then we had all these all these other artists out there. And let me tell you, people who are painting celebrity pictures, uh, we don't look we don't look too favorably upon those people. <laughs> I'm sorry to laugh. People so are painting celebrity pictures. Yeah. And so we had oh. outside the outside the restaurant, they had artists outside the restaurant too. So one night they had two artists doing dueling Jennifer who was that? Jennifer Jennifer, Jennifer Love, Love Jennifer Love Hewitt. Hewitt, yeah. They're both oh. trying to paint her pictures though. So. Oh, it was unbelievable. It was just there was so much competition and Oh my God! People just, just you know, the worst came out in people. Yeah, I just and I worked in another situation up in. Um, I worked on Sunset Strip at a boutique hotel called the Grafton on Sunset, and it was a great company. And they took and they built this boutique hotel, and they built a psychic room, and they said that it was a a feng shui balance thing. And the it was a husband and wife that bought the hotel, and the wife's mother had been a psychic and so she said the psychic energy would balance it and so I worked in um, I worked in this hotel Um, and oh my gosh I met more people that brought their children to Hollywood and somehow or another somebody found that there was a sign in a child's hand that had a star in it if it had a star in it it said that you would get fame and success and so there are stars that show up in people's hands. And I, the most I've ever seen in one hand was seven stars. But the children would show up with the mother and they'd say, okay, look at, look at, look at my child's hands. And I'd say, nope, no star. Just take your child and go back to Nebraska and have a very good life. Hollywood is oh, wow. for you. Because I just didn't really, I just really didn't support the, the whole deal of, you know, mothers being flesh peddlers, but you know, I don't know. There's plenty of kids, people. Huh? Oh my gosh, stage mom. children. Stage, yeah, stage mom. mom. Boy, they are aggressive. They are a breed all of their own. And God bless them because um, their drive and momentum does create some great child actors and actresses, but. I don't know. I just didn't have the stomach for it. I don't really know what to say about that part of the story. But I was at this hotel, and it was two doors over from uh, Dan Aykroyd's House of Blues. And when the hotel first opened, all the people that were performing at the House of Blues stayed in the hotel. And um, so it was really interesting. I met a whole bunch of people who I had no idea who they were. And um, my favorite line was, uh, the actress who was part of Friends, Jennifer Aniston, uh, she was in having dinner with her mother. No, it was, it was Cor- Courtney Cox. Courtney Cox. Okay, see, I can't even remember yeah. it. So Courtney Cox, I say to her, and she tells, I say, okay, so what do you do? I'm doing a reading for her. And she goes, well, I'm an actress. And I go, well, in this town, there's two types of actresses, working art, working actresses and non-working actresses. And she said, no. I'm a working actress. And then I looked at her a little closer, and I just I never figured it out. It was later that I, um, you know, I had to go and look it up. But um, I met a lot of personalities up there and did a lot of readings for people, and it was a lot of fun. But 
I don't think I have the temperament for Hollywood. Something's missing in me. And that's not the well, one for California. Well, I want to say the shark, the shark, and I saw that the Back to the Future car. Now, and I went out in, where the shark was, and this town would have a flood come through, an old town like out of World War II or something. Do you, is that Universal Studios yeah, where yeah, they have the Back to yeah. the Future car and the shark? Because yep. I heard one of y'all mention the shark. I think it was you, right. Suzanne. So yeah, we went to go. We had to go see. I wanted to go see the Back to the Future car, so I did do that within that five years. So uh, funny the little things you remember, but I, I didn't remember if it was Universal or not. So that was a. Yeah. Uh, didn't they have a huge theater too there called Universal? Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah, it seems like I went to the movie there, but a premiere or something. I don't know what I did there, but huge theater, and you had to go through and you. And they took you on a tour, and then mm-hmm. they had that that little town, didn't they? Or is that yeah. true? Is that in my mind? Remember yeah, the little town no, square that was in so many yeah. things. Yeah, my my dad uh, my dad invented the solid tire that was used for that ride because, you know, one of the points in the ride is is that they have to be able to, you know, bring you to a stop, and that was the that was probably one of the first really big projects where. Um, the solid tires my dad had uh, invented were used um, in something that was kind of theatrical, and he used that film of the, um, you know, that ride with the shark over and over and over again. That was kind of his material, you know. So that's the only reason why I happen to know that ride, because I've never been inside of Universal Studios. Oh, wow. Well, uh, I guess the tram comes by there, and the Shark comes up and then it sinks back right. down in the water. Right. That's right. <laughs> it's really a lot of fun. And up comes that big giant shark and just scares you. It is so much fun. Now they have at Universal Studios, they have um, the Harry Potter Village. And so people go there and do the whole. Oh, thing. yeah. Dress, That'd be awesome. Dress, yeah, they get dressed in costumes and they go and spend the day there. And it's a lot of fun. But. Yeah, amusement parks, amusement parks. I like I like water parks, but I'm not an amusement park person, which is weird. Oh, I love amusement parks. But now, is are they closed down? Because I don't even know if Orlando here where I live in Florida, folks. I live in Gulf Breeze. They live in Orange County. And Rich does paintings for a lot of the local people. Uh, but, but he can do any paintings if you're interested uh, from a photo and put it up on his little easel and do your little uh, watercolor art. If you want to get really fancy, he does really, real expensive uh, oil paintings for commissions. And I put that. I can't see it, but I put it up on tonight's show. So when it goes out to all these radio shows, the description will have Rich Flynn and his uh, little thing about you can order his artwork. And I did that intentionally because, uh, you know, I. Uh, Suzanne found me, and we we came together over our ACO club with Butwin. But Rich is taking an interest in what she and I do and came on a couple of shows, which shocked me because most of the husbands, <laughs> when I've worked really? uh, on radio, they're not interested, not even my oh. own. So I think it was oh. cool. No, I'll tell you one thing. I'll tell you one thing. One of the happiest moments working with Suzanne is at the, especially at the tango was when she's busy and I'm busy and we're, I'm painting and she's doing readings. 
it's just there's such a feeling inside of me like oh everything is just really cool you know I don't Aww. know what it is but when she's working and I'm working and then we meet up afterwards like, okay how that go? okay how this go you know that's just to me that's just a really an amazing feeling I can't describe what it is it's that's your bliss huh it's our bliss yeah, yeah it's like a, yeah it is like, like a bliss moment yeah so we've always oh, worked well cool. together. Yeah, we're quite lucky. That is one of the things that we looked for a long time. We said, we've got to find another place that will have an artist and a psychic. But it really wasn't about the fact that I was a psychic and he was an artist. It was about the fact that there were so many different types of entertainment. And there were so many. I mean, I brought in the psychic talent for the situation. There were different types of psychics. I had one guy who, his name was Richard Bates, and he dressed up in this Renaissance costume and he would read people's eyes, and he did iridology. And then I had another girlfriend, and her name was Stephanie Harnack, and she would come in and she would read tarot cards. And I just had all of these different psychics that I brought in to take and work inside of the restaurant. And, um, you know, there were – and Rich had all these different artist friends that were there, and he had we had all these different artists. And then there were the dancers, and then there were the musicians – so when you went out to dinner, you went out to dinner, and then you had a whole show. And um, it really, there. and we, we talked to somebody, and she said, no, there'll never be a, another situation like that. There just won't. And it's true. We haven't found anything even remotely close to that idea. But it's a great, it's a great idea for a meal. What kind of dancers? Because now I worked in theater. I love dancing. And yeah. Patrick Swayze is the most famous person that I met uh, in Houston, and then uh, something black. He was a guitarist. He married Lisa Hartman, and I hmm. subbed uh, at the Royal Coach Inn. And her dad worked at Channel 13. knew she Lisa would something black. Uh, country said, "What was his name?" Uh, Y'all aren't into country, are you? But uh, he can't. Yeah. Do you know who I'm talking music. about? Lewis, black. but not Lewis. Uh, Tim Black. I, I don't know. Have to look yeah, up to the Lisa Hartman. About, yeah. Uh, yeah. I used to go hear him play at night at one of the clubs in Pasadena. Oh, wow. uh, and then I, I worked with uh, Mickey Gilley. I don't know if y'all know who that is. Yeah. His club. And then I met, uh, what was that guy with a horse face? Some famous. I met a whole bunch of famous people in Houston. And then wow. working with Bob Hope. And, you know, it was Gerlach Entertainment Agency. But he booked all these famous names back in the early '60s and late or early late '60s, early '70s, and then that's where I met Ronald Reagan at one of those big Ladida uh, oh, yeah. country club things or conventions, and they pulled him out in the hallway and pulled me out in the hallway and told us both to look at each other. That was so strange, and not to this day. Now I know that when I was a psychic, the most famous. I read Michael Jackson when he came out to Hawaii. He found me, like oh. <laughs> like you found me, Suzanne. Are you a <laughs> But not really. He had men call me. He had his people call me and bug me, and I turned them down for two or three days. And finally, I didn't hang up one day. And But I didn't know it was Michael Jackson. I'm sure if they would have told me. They just kept telling me it was some famous person because I'd hang up on them. <laughs> Right. There's something about men in black or security people. You just know, folks. I can't explain it, but especially as a psychic, it's just click, you know. So, uh, but finally they got me 
to to come up and I was told them I tell you what because they just caught me at a weak moment I'm gonna I was jogging back then I was in health and I was in the Navy but I told them I was gonna jog up to Diamond Head because I lived in Kahala uh, right down from the Hilton where the Clintons came you know they had my Cadillac blocked off when the Clintons came in on, right on the ocean but I lived in this beautiful mansion I, I was very fortunate for different times in my life Tom Selleck and I hung out at the Black Orchid he had a, a a club in Hawaii, but I met lots of famous people. But I still today think Michael Jackson's the most famous. And he he came to me to ask me. He was in a big long stretch in Hawaii, black stretch, and uh, I didn't know who he was in the back. But they, what he did was they finally got me when I said, "I tell you what, I'll meet you if you want to find me." And they found me, the men in black. I guess they probably followed me <laughs> from my house, but I, I did. I. I I jogged up, and so they caught me while I was catching my breath. You can picture me in shorts and my hands on my sides. Then 30, I was like 36, I think, 33, 36. And uh, I still remember it was mid-afternoon, and uh, he'd ask a question, and they'd come ask me and go back and tell him. Then he'd send them over and ask me another question, go back and tell him. And this is how we did for a while, and uh, back and forth, until finally he trusted me enough because he was asking me about Las Vegas and stuff to help them uh, downtown save Las Vegas, which I didn't know why. But after that, and then he booked a hotel down in Hawaii, and it was like five fifty five hundred. But the way he said it was like, oh, don't worry about it. it's only like fifty five hundred. But I was like, only fifty five hundred for the night. Like it was really cheap, you know, to <laughs> shut it down for just him and me. But you know, but I didn't charge him, folks. Even you know, I was a psychic, but I had my psychic sign up for the Ascension Psychic Awakening classes. And he found right. me in the newspapers, what I think, I think. Right. But his brothers uh, worked with a friend of mine in my company then, too, over in California, Gulu Watermull and then the brother Jackson brothers. And I always thought they were so cool from Indiana and going through Motown. And I'm sure y'all know that story, right, in right. California. Right. We do. Do y'all mm-hmm. have did y'all meet a lot of famous people? Let's ask both of y'all. Who's the most famous? I heard Courtney Cox, but Rich and is there anybody else? Suzanne. Oh, I say Bob Hope and Michael Jackson are the two most. Rich, Rich, you know you keep better track of the people that I've talked to. They're famous. Jerry Springer. Jerry Springer. Uh, oh people, gosh. Cat cast of Desperate Housewives. Right. Uh, Can you do uh, music? Who was? Oh my God, my brain's not working. Who was Peggy Lipton? Who did that party for? Oh yeah, let's see. Who was that? Oh my gosh, we really can't remember. But let's see. Um, let's start with some of the singers. Who was the woman who did the Sugar Shack? Oh, B fifty twos. B fifty twos. So they would that? come to. Tango, and then also they would you would do readings on them. Plus you were you, you, you did a you did a you did a party at Maria Shriver's house. No, I didn't do a party. That, there's, That'd be a big that. one. I did do a reading for Maria Shriver. Yes. Oh my gosh! Wasn't that Schwarzenegger's first or second wife? I don't remember which one. It was one of his wives, time. wasn't it? Yeah, he was married to her at the time. And I met him um, too. That's yeah. cool. We've got a lot in common. I didn't read for him or his wife. Wow. 
Tom, There's one Tom, connection. Tom Selleck, Mr. Blackwell. Um, you met Tom Selleck like I did? I did, I did. That is weird. Um, did you do a reading for Larry, him? Yeah. Who else? G- Gary Busey, Larry oh, Sanders. Yeah. I love Gary Busey. He's one of my favorite <laughs> actors. Oh, my God. Hey, I I'll love him. Love Gary Busey. Gary Busey still living in the same place. Um, well, that was Gary Shandling. Gary Shandling. I like Who? Gary Shandling. You've got yeah. good people in your karma. Well, karma so who is that guy who we're thinking of, that producer in Bel Air? Peggy um, Lipton was married to him, and they had two daughters. One of the daughters is um, my br- quite My brain's just not clicking. Uh, yeah, I know. He, 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 like, pr- he produced, he, he was like the the producer, producer of all these great records. Yeah. And then he did well, the Prince Quincy Prince. Jones. Quincy Jones, Quincy Jones, Jones and his daughters. And Who doesn't know that name, Quincy Jones? <laughs> OMG! Wow, y'all got that? a good repertoire. Y'all talk, man, you're like psychic to the Hollywood stars. You know it. So, it, who was that writer you did at in Newport? That writer? Oh, Dean Koontz. Guy you wrote, Dean Koontz. Yeah, Dean Koontz. Yeah, great guy. Are, good Lance. The, the Dean Koontz with a K L O N T Z. Yeah. Jeez. Well, you know, me being a writer, I'm like very impressed. What an incredible, <laughs> beautiful home he had, and what a great wife he had. And I like, I met the dog, I met the wife. Uh, incredible, <laughs> incredible <laughs> library. Great library. Um, very impressive. Beautifully done. Incredible house. Yeah. Um, gosh, who else, Rich? I've got a long list of people. Well, well, I usually try to write them all down. I try to tell Janet to write down all the TV shows Chuck she's been Woolery. on. All the shows. Chuck Woolery. Oh, Chuck Woolery. Oh, my gosh. Oh, he was I so annoyed. I love him. Tell me about know. him. Black hair, folks. Chuck Woolery's game show host, right? Yeah. Right. Wasn't it? What was it? What was his show, Rich? My brain's really not clicking today, so I don't know. The dating, what the is dating you, Rich? Go get your sugar water. Where's your iced tea? <laughs> where's your sun tea? Um, where's your sun tea? Um, Chuck Woolery. Um, didn't I don't remember you, either, Rich. I'm just giving you, you a bad dinosaur? time. That's okay. No. Chuck Woolery did. Listen, did he do uh, the card the, shark the, game, Chuck Woolery? No. Or, uh, the dating, The dating game. The Dating Game. Yeah, that's, that's it. Chuck Woolery in The Dating Game. Yeah. So right? he, he wanted to do a new show, and um, one of the things was is they said, well, we're going to bring a psychic on, and you're going to have to get a reading, you know, on the air. And he was so annoyed about that. As soon as his book was over, he, he was like, get this person off my stage. It was so <sighs> funny. Oh, really, my gosh. He, well, he didn't have any choice. He didn't. He didn't have, um, you know, a choice. I was brought in. NBC brought me in to take and do readings on people that were going to be potential hosts for a show, and um, it it was really. If you want to find a way to put somebody on the spot, tell them they have to take off their shoes and socks and have their feet red. And, and that's what they did to these poor <laughs> actors that just wanted to be rich and famous, didn't want to have to show their feet. And um, it was it was really kind of a fun thing to do. Um, yeah, yeah. So those wow. are the only, those are the only the ones. Way, I, 
you were doing foot readings? Are you telling me you were doing foot readings so people could get jobs and Chuck Woolery was a one that had to have his feet read? Well, so they took and they, they, for some reason or another, you know, Hollywood always likes something that's gimmicky. And so they decided that they were, you know, they were trying to, one of the, so I did Chuck Woolery's new show. He was trying to get a new show off the ground, which never succeeded. And uh, one of the things they said, well, let's, let's bring, let's bring on this psychic and she'll take and she'll read your feet and this will be part of, you know, something different to promote your show. And so they, they brought me on and, um. I actually did a show, I did a reading for Debbie Reynolds, and I didn't know any I part of I love Debbie Reynolds. I oh, know. there's another person. Now, she, <laughs> she worked with me in Vegas. She worked with right. me at a convention. She had her own oh. line or something. And Carrie Fisher. I met Meryl Street and Carrie Fisher out at the mall. They actually talked to me like we were talking. They liked what I was wearing. I was oh, like, oh, okay. my God. They, they thought so, I was cool. So Debbie Reynolds was getting ready to open up a casino in Las Vegas, and she came on to a came on to a producer and asked them if she could be included in the lineup. And uh, the producer said, "Sure, as long as you'll have your feet red." And Debbie Reynolds said, <laughs> "She said, uh, I'll do it if you'll have somebody go to my house and get my ruby slippers." And she, and she had there were three pairs of ruby <laughs> slippers that were used for the Wizard of Oz, and somebody went and got the slippers and they brought them back, and it was so funny because she's got tiny feet, and those because you know um, Judy Garland I think was she was twelve years old when she did that movie, and she you know she probably had very average feet, but they were tiny and uh, they fit Debbie Reynolds. She could wear them for the little thing that we did. But afterwards, one of the women who was one of the hosts, she wanted to try them on, and, and it just made things a little bit nervous. But Awkward. yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. Because, like uh, the glass slipper. Yeah, <laughs> I, think, I, think I think Debbie Reynolds has like a size, she had a size four and a half foot. I think she was like one of those real tiny yeah. little feet. You should have tiny. seen her next to me because I'm like 5'11", and she just loved me. But you talk about great with people, at least. Yeah. When I was with her, she was, she was. right there at the, uh, yep. and she was had uh, she was had a table, and I had a table, and we weren't at the, you know, I was doing my clothes, cork, you know, from Hawaii, and in Vegas, and when we got off the plane, all my stuff, my brand was in all the shops. It was the latest thing, gold and cork, wow. yeah, I had the shoes and the handbags. When you got off the plane in Las Vegas, and you walked down. But I'm trying to remember, how did that happen? Because my brain remembers going, and maybe it was seizures too, I don't know, but going down somewhere where all these shops had my stuff. But I don't know where that was. But she was tiny, but oh my yeah. God. Now, now that we're talking about the Debbie Reynolds. Now, do you remember yeah. all the, wasn't she the Tammy? Because I grew up watching her movies, right? So I was right. just, I couldn't believe I was oh, meeting her a- in human form. What a great, what a great actress, and and I did not know her story, and um, I have a copy of the reading I did for her on air. So yeah, she's really, really very kind and very sweet. And you know, her husband was a gambler, and he left her eleven million dollars in debt, and she paid every penny of that back. Eddie Fisher. 
Yeah, he was a big gambler. I'm and not so looking was, on anything, folks. My computer's down right now. I'm black. I'm just going from living. That's why I like baby boomers because we all live <laughs> about the same time, and we can talk from it from living it, right? Right. Yeah. So she and so she and he yeah. had a terrible gambling problem. And the people that he owed the money to, they said, "Oh, forget it." Now let me tell you something. If somebody said to me, um, "Oh, your husband debts. Oh, he died. Oh, forget it." You know what I'd say? I'd say. I owe you for the rest of my life. Thank you so much. That is so kind of you. And not her. She paid that $11 million back. Back when $11 million really meant something, too. I wow. Tell you, she paid those debts off, and uh, there was a very clear marking on her feet. She had really strong tendons, and so I thought, and I talked about that. And, um, of course, I mean, I didn't know I was going to be reading her, so it wasn't like I was prepped. It was like I was scheduled on, I was part of the show, and then she wanted to be in that show to promote her upcoming casino opening, and so I didn't know. So it was kind of, a, it was kind of an interesting thing because later I read that story and I thought, oh, what a sad story. So anyway, that's, uh, yeah, Debbie Reynolds. Yeah, in the 70s, Debbie Reynolds was, oh, she was a starlet. Yeah. And Margaret and Debbie Reynolds. I watched all the Tamias in love. Now, Rich, what about you? Because uh, look at the time, because I told you I was trying something new, which I shouldn't do. <laughs> I said, no, after eight years, don't go direct. It, <laughs> it always messes up and locks everything up. So. Well, hey, we're, but, we're talking. We're yeah, good. we're okay we're until I don't know yeah. how we're going to hang up. But Rich, okay. who, who's the famous people you met? Come on, tell the story of, um, uh, what's his name, Dennis Rodman. Oh, yeah, Ooh, I love him, too. <laughs> He's a tall, dark, and handsome drink of water. When, oh, I don't like tall. the ring he wears in his nose, though, sometimes. <laughs> Did he have the ring in his nose when you met him? Oh, yeah. He's a character, yeah. So I'm six, you know, six three, six four. But I get, hey, Dennis, and I'm looking up like I'm looking up to the stars. I mean, this guy's like about <laughs> seven foot. I mean, he was he was huge. But I did a painting for he opened up a restaurant in Newport Beach. I did that for him. So yeah, he's just a great character. He's just he, he's just he's just a big boy. <laughs> you know, he's just he's just a what kind of painting? And what a, I know yours can run about five K, right? If you do original oil and that's cheap, right? Did did he want one original sitting? No, he did. I did one of his restaurant outside of his restaurant. It was a kind of a scenic, some uh, landmark kind of restaurant in Newport Beach. We call it Josh Slocum. So it's kind of had that New England kind of uh, fisherman look to it. But so I did a painting for that and hung it up in his restaurant. So wow, that was pretty cool. One of the coolest things me and Suzanne did. Oh, you want a question? Go ahead. No, no, no. It's funny because. Um, he he didn't ever succeed there in the restaurant because all of the neighbors and all the people in that area, and that's a very, very wealthy area. It's probably not really well understood, but Newport Beach has these little teeny tiny islands off of it, and individual um, people or groups of people own these islands. And so it's not it's not just it's not just Newport Beach, which is expensive. But then it's these people that have like a home on Lido Isle, and they're used to a very controlled, sedate atmosphere. And he came in with his friends, and 
he had helicopters landing and he had limousines and he had wild women coming all hours. I don't think he made it a year. If it was a year, I'd be really, really surprised. They they shut that stuff down. They said, you can't be doing that here. <laughs> oh, God, it was fun. We're too rich for this kind of lifestyle. You're too young for us. <laughs> Your lifestyle. Go back to Hollywood, huh? <laughs> yeah, he had the toys. One time we were painting a wedding and uh, up in L.A. and this huh. lady, she just it was a million dollar wedding, unbelievable. Wow! Oh, it was no, it was called no, it was called the wedding of the century, and um, we know her as Iris Smith, and it was uh, the gifts. The gifts that the um, that the groomsmen got was a Rolex watch, and the bridesmaid got an original Paris couture dress. Nice. Those were, those were the <laughs> gifts, and they spent over a million dollars on just the roses. And who was the performer, Rich? Yeah, so I'm painting away, you know, and just getting into my zone, and I hear the reception going on in the background. And they go, now, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to invite Stevie Wonder. <laughs> so Stevie Wonder gets up and starts playing. And that that was just magical. I run upstairs. He's in the break room or something. And I go, come down here. you got to see who's playing. So, oh, yeah, it was funny. Yeah, he performed the at, the, at the next daughter's wedding, too. And they also had Sting perform at that wedding. Remember, they have a – so she put on two weddings for her daughters and – the idea was is that she was going to have the wedding of the century. That was her goal, and I I think for many years that might remain that might remain in that status symbol. But it it was something. Now yeah, today, they, the people you you like your friends are coming on Tuesday, Stan and Tara. I've never met any of these people, folks. But working in the psychic business, you just sort of get a vibration. But these two people are beautiful. I and you know during this COVID nineteen, I think they're going to try to find their place in digital marketing with us. But at the same time, they're just beautiful. And their son is a drummer. They have two sons. One works for Sting. Isn't that right, Sting? Right. And tell people okay. about that. I don't actually. I think there's some sort of a. Let's see. So I can't ever remember. Rich, they have two sons, right? One is John. Yeah, one, one plays. Is, one plays drums for one plays drums for the Stings, Sting and his band, and another plays keyboards for Green Day. And they're just really great musicians, and they come from a great musician family. Like I say, Stan's just—he's a star. So you talk about stars who we met. I mean, Stan's been yeah. been there, done that with a lot of things. So, yeah, Stan Free. And he's Stan an was on on Hee Haw for years. Hee Haw. I got to see him, uh, but I didn't know until Rich, the guy you're listening to tonight with with us here, Rich Flynn, the famous artist, especially to the stars (laughs) and the big rich famous (laughs) wedding people. (laughs) You may not know their name, but when they pay the millions out for their weddings, uh, you have to get Rich come, and he sits there and paints what he sees, and he he got commissioned even by the city of L.A. to do that. And then this Dennis Rodman and his restaurant. So it's quite a unique thing that Rich is doing. But Rich sent me a little video of the guy. I went, oh, my God, I saw that. Because Stanford I remember how good looking. 
He was, but I remember looking at him thinking, why would a good-looking guy, and I was younger than him at the time, but I, I guess I've gotten older because now I think I'm older than him, so I don't no. get it. But no, 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 no. Not? He, he's 76. Okay. He's 76. Okay, so that's, I was about eight years younger than him, but, you know, at that age when you're like 16 or something, he's 28 or something, we'll have to ask what year he wrote that song. But I remember seeing the good-looking man wondering why he didn't play the trumpet. So it, the God, you can say there's a God, but whoever, the immortal divinity of whoever we are, that, that creates everything, the thing is put something in me, like we all do to meet rich and famous people, but to know Someday in my future, he'd come and do a radio show with me, which he's going to oh come God. next week because of you guys. But I remember thinking, why is he not playing the trumpet? Because that thing on the tuba, the mouthpiece, was huge. And I remembered it from band because we had tuba players, at least two or three in you know, all the big high school bands. But I remembered that thought, and that's, Suzanne, you're big on past life regression and then memories, and so we're going to get into a little bit of that, but we've only got like 15 minutes right. Is that right? Can somebody check the uh, – how many more no. minutes do we have? 40 minutes we started left. late. Oh, we, we did. 40 minutes. Okay. Yeah, we got 40 minutes well, to wanted, go. Okay, good. I want to get into more of that, but anyway, but let's plug them while they're here. So they're coming on uh, Stan and Tara Freeze, folks. They're the famous California couple that has the entertainment agency, and they book people, and they book bands, and they book you know, their children work like staying in Green Day. But they have a lot of young friends. But mine tonight is about baby boomer people, and the baby boomer people remember the people that were in my reality and my stars, you know. And so it's going to be interesting. But he played for Hee Haw. And he played at Disneyland. Uh, what's the basic stuff, Rich, that you know? Let's let you talk about Stan and Tara a little bit. Do you remember anything about them that you could share that, you know, to promote them? Yeah. To well, I, again, that goes, back to, that goes back to my Disneyland days. So we were oh. mutual friends with people involved at Disneyland. Uh, Ron Dominguez and my my uh, boss was Bo Foster and they're all they're just character guys they're like from the Sinatra era and so I guess they'd go drinking or hanging out together and stuff so my brother and me we we connected Stan to all the people we saw at Disneyland and so that's how I knew Stan from uh, knew about his past. I so was with Frank Sinatra bit. a lot on the like Bob Hope when they'd come to Houston and hang out for years. I was a teenager. So you uh-huh. met Frank Sinatra, and I met his wife, no. too. <laughs> no, I'm saying the people that were in that era, if we talk about different kind of eras, like baby boomers and stuff, the, the people that uh-huh. were older than us, like Stan Freeze and the people he was working with at Disney, they're more of the Sinatra era. We were the Beatle babies, and they were oh, more okay. of the Sinatra. <laughs> now, so I never met Sinatra, but... I'm saying that's that's just a different time frame. So we we saw those people as being, you know, the smokers and the drinking the martinis and those kind of guys. We're all smoking pot and, you know, drinking <laughs> beer. <laughs> so that was like a different crowd. They're all older than us, you know, but but that's how I that's yeah. That's how I kind of connected with Stan because of our mutual friends through Disneyland days. Well, did you you remember where you met him? Stan, well that was through Suzanne. 
at the yeah. was it the tango or something? So, uh, so, so Stan, Stan, Stan came in to huh? Stan came into Cafe Two Two Tango for a retirement party. Did you meet him that time when he came in? I don't remember that so much. I, I remember more of his birthday parties at Angelo and Vinci's in Fullerton. Right, right. Which is a, a tradition. Who who started Angelo and Vinci's? I can never remember. Was it Gregory Peck? Yeah, Gregory Peck or Stephen Peck, his brother. Yeah. So do you? Yeah, one so of those TJ, do you remember? Um, do you remember um, Stephen Peck, the actor from the fifties and sixties? Gregory Peck. I don't. I can't place Stephen Peck. Maybe if I saw him in a movie, I can't remember some names, but. Usually if they were movie stars, I love movie stars. And since I hung out with Bob Hope and Frank Sinatra and all those people, I used to see them on TV when I was a little kid. So, well, I was a little kid when I met them, but I was a teenager married and, you know, going to country clubs. So uh, when I met them with Gerlach Entertainment, I to see booking them. So, but who's Stephen Peck? So he he took in um, Gregory Peck's brother he took and opened a great restaurant. Um, they're a really strong Italian family, and he opened this great restaurant in Fullerton. And if you ever get into Fullerton, it's really the place to stop at and get a great Italian meal. Um, they use the recipes that they grew up with as children. But his half-brother uh, was part of um, Shelley Mann's, Band, which was a jazz band. Former Shelly uh, Man. Oh my God! All the names we're talking about tonight. Baby boomers, listen to us, Shelly Man. History. history. Oh wow! History. Love yeah, it. And, love it. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. So, um, jazz night. You know what? That is one of the things that I feel kind of bad for for this age group is that um, going to a jazz nightclub. You didn't go to the jazz nightclub in order to get a buzz because the drinks were too expensive. And so if yep. you went there, you really went there for the music. Right. So, and then um, been there many times, but more like Houston and Birmingham, Alabama. But, you know, a lot of jazz clubs in the 70s when I was growing up, you know. So I guess I was in the 70s and 80s because I was dancing on stage to Michael Jackson's music in Houston at some of the discos in the early 80s. And doing the you know all those steps that he did, so I had no clue I was going to meet him someday and be a psychic for him. So you never know what's going to be in your future. But oh my gosh, this show's good. I like all the names that between all three of us. I think okay. it's cool. Rich, Can't go back to, to the go go stuff. go back to the. We went. I took you out of the story of um, Stan? how you Stan, how you met Stan Freeze. Really? <laughs> I really don't. I don't remember now. Like <laughs> first meeting, but I know. All right. I remember the parties, but no, I'm a big fan. His kids—they're not just in uh, Green Day and Sting. They're like great session musicians. They play for all sorts of bands: Social Distortion and Nine Inch Nails. And oh, they're—if you look them up online, oh, their their credits are incredible. They're just a who's who of uh, like modern. Or rock music. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's modern now, but no, it, it it's, it's just a real. It's you're talking about famous people, but these are just really talented people. It's it, that's the main thing. And same way with this Iris Smith and her wedding. 
we tell people, you know, this was a multi-million dollar wedding, but it was a, the thing was that you walk into it, it was magical. It wasn't just money. You know, we've seen weddings with just money, and they're kind of they are what they are. But people who are talented, people who are creative, people who have it in a vision, and people who have the means to do it. That's just that's what it is. It's just it's beautiful. Some so, some estimates place those two weddings at over a hundred million dollars each. Yeah, but they're, they're but they're beautiful. You're, you're just going, oh my god, this is where I always my analogy again going back to Disneyland. You don't walk into Disneyland and go, hey, look how much they spent here. I mean, this is, look how much that must have cost. Look how that much. No, you're just you're lost in the magic of the moment. So that's what that's what that's the beauty of it all. Well, we've done well, weddings. Too. What, huh? Go ahead. I was just going to comment on the magic. I love that, that you said that. And I think Stan is going to bring that with Tara. They're such a beautiful couple. And I didn't know that he was who, you know, like somebody in the, you know, industry and as a musician and a famous television personality. So he's very humble. But so was Frank Sinatra and Bob Hope and all those people when you're up next to them and talking to them. Of course, I was young and pretty. I never could figure out why I was invited, but now as a 68-year-old, I realized I was the <laughs> eye candy. <laughs> and I was the brunt yeah. of Bob Hope. I'll never forget one being on stage in Dallas. I, I rode the bus with the musicians uh, all the way up to Dallas, and uh, Bob Hope put me on stage. And uh, I was pretty, and they had me wear a blonde wig to be a blonde, which I didn't like because I was a brunette at the time. Now I'm white-haired. Oh, we're red, but uh, he his joke was something about the uh, there he was playing golf. You know how he loved to golf with somebody, but the the hole healed up and people just loved it. And I still didn't get it, and that was the whole joke. And I still don't even know to this day if he's talking about golfing with the Pope or something. But the hole healed up with the ball or something. But yeah, you know, that that was my job was to be pretty and hang out with the stars and. People, the big people with all these big, uh, like you said, weddings and things, you know, they'd always look at me wherever I was at the time. I was 5'11", long brunette, hair down the back, you know, and uh, big boobs. Uh, but uh, I guess in Houston, they must have not had too many spokesmodel people back then because I, mm-hmm. I can't figure out why I got all the gigs, you know. <laughs> so, but now I didn't paint like you did. You paint. But we need to explain that to people because, you know, the gig now is virtual reality. Now, how are y'all going to virtual reality? You'll have people mail you a copy. My husband had university people mail him copies because they couldn't use real copies. They had to use artist rendition to teach in the university, like Roman warriors. And, uh, I've, you know what I mean? He had to draw them and he'd get paid whatever he asked, which would only be like a hundred bucks or something. So, uh, but I know yours is explain to people what you do, because it's still, I've seen it now. I saw one of your YouTubes or one of your people that came on this radio show, Hackman or somebody did the ma'am music. Uh, Ma'am. what is that? Yeah. National association of music merchants. It's held in Anaheim. And so that was the, called the drum circle, and it was gifted from the city of Anaheim to the CEO of NAM as a gift because they, 
everybody's vying to get this convention to come to their town at the beginning of the year because it brings in millions of dollars to the city. So it's like a, it's one of their jewels they want to hang on to. And uh, so, yeah, so they gave him the painting as a gift. So, hello? Well, that's a beautiful film somebody did for you. But was that Suzanne? Yeah, John was Harnack. that one of your people? Uh, Suzanne, was that one of your people that filmed your husband for uh, yeah, YouTube? That's, that's John Harnack. And uh, the thing that was really great about it is, is that I was doing a seminar with Mary Morrissey. And I said, Rich, have John go with you because John Harnack is the only person we know of who kept his ticket stub to Woodstock, and he's a big. <laughs> he's, <laughs> yeah. he's, the only, he's the only guy we know. He's the only guy we know who's been to Woodstock. He has the ticket and he has the poster. How many people what do you know have been to guy. Woodstock? Yeah, yeah. I'd love to know he somebody worked, that went. <laughs> I don't. Worked, and he worked with the Johnny Cash show, so he was the cameraman for the Johnny Cash show back in the day. I'll bet he knew Doc Severson. That was a real good friend of my husband's because they both played trumpet together a lot and did those clinics in Houston and worked with entertainment. Do you remember Doc Severson, trumpet player? Yeah, he was, he, he was in he was in the Silver Mind Control class I was in. He was in your what? It was called Silver Mind Control. Oh, Jose wow. Silva. The guy, the guy, I don't know if he invented the term or uses how he got the term, but Every day and every way, I'm getting better and better. That was attributed to Jose Silva. Oh, huh. I, I remember people used to always talk about Silva mind control. There must be a book or two about it because it was really popular, and that was just right. dropped in a lot of conversations for baby boomers. And uh, right. I know a lot of people that did have it. Now, I remember the names like L. Ron Hubbard, Werner Erhard. And then Gene Roddenberry and the Indian Nine meeting at the can visualize the building, and it was like a two or three or four story older home looking professorial place. But they all met, and uh, it's odd that they went with Hawking's. Believe it or not, folks. Of course, the man you guys probably know him famously, Stephen Hawking's in the wheelchair. You know he, uh, of course, he's passed, but that Stephen Hawking's was talking with all these famous men of California and motivational speaking. It was, was it called, uh, Suzanne, you may remember, was it the motivational meeting? They're sort of historians too. So what do they call right. that? Motivational yeah. times, 70s or something, 80s? You remember? There was there was Earnhardt Seminar Training, which was S, and there was Life Spring, and then uh, S became the center I don't. I'm, I'm trying to remember. Um, and then NLP <laughs> came after that, right? NLP, right. which you can still see YouTube's out. A lot of people use that, like they do Reiki training, NLP, and, and what Suzanne and I do in metaphysics. Now, Stan and Tara are going to talk some metaphysics too, not just Hollywood, right? But right. I love dropping names in Hollywood to see who remembers who, because the kids. I mean, my grandchildren uh, don't know, and here. My husband, God bless him, passed, but we were at my mother's, and we were driving trucks back then. We were both prior military, and we went and played a game, and it asked uh, something, and it was like question and answer, one of those box games. And he, uh, my husband asked the 
my sister's daughter, she's passed now. She was beautiful. She was Miss Teen Lubbock, but she died of cancer like my daughter did. But she didn't know who Elvis Presley was. So the point is, folks, when we go through realities, a lot of people that come up, you don't think about it, but it's not in their repertoire. There's no reason. They don't come up on the movie or they don't watch old movies. They don't know. Now, this was in the 90s, so... Uh, our early 2000s, maybe, but you know, yeah, 25, 30 like years ago. But now my grandkids have no clue who I'm talking about. You know, right. that's, that's like right. Go ahead. Right. Like when people, that's like when people say, "Oh, Paul McCartney. Oh yeah, he was in Wings." <laughs> I know. <laughs> what? No, he's a Beatles. Oh, <laughs> who are they? Yeah, I know. It's so funny. Um, uh, yeah, it's different time. Different time. But well, can we okay, keep up a talking? baby boomer? I like the baby boomer generation, but we can do some psychic stuff if you want to on Thursdays, but that's up to you. I don't know if you want to pull together a Thursday, but Tuesday will yeah. be another Hollywood kind of thing, but we'll put it under entertainment. I may have to move y'all's off of self-help tonight because we're more entertainment, but I'll have to, I don't know if I can go back in and fix it, but we were under supposed to be self-help uh, <laughs> The tag, but let's, that let's, was to help let's people. Talk, let's talk about self-help for a minute. So, Rich, tell yeah, everybody the, how how you what? use psychics to make your dream come true. It's my favorite story of yours because I'm in it. <laughs> that makes how psychics make my dream come true. Right. <laughs> Her muse. Yeah. Or my muse. Yeah, you're my muse. But thank you. Yeah, just just have. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> But, <laughs> I like that. I like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. But how do how? Well, just yeah. There was all the psychics at the tango during those days. I think I told the story before, but yeah. It's not on the show. This, okay, so there's all these psychics at the tango. So I was just living day by day and barely getting to the restaurant with like no gas in the car and not having any money in my pocket. So I just talked to psychics there. And I was sort of like your ambassador to the psychics because they're all your friends or you're to hire them all. So I talked to them. It would just give you a sense of peace. Like, okay, I can make it through the day or I can do, you know, everything's in, in alignment with what I'm doing. And nobody said, hey, well, why don't you go get a job at the post office? <laughs> Which is what your parents said to you over and over again. Yeah, that was my that was my parents' dream for me. Once you get a job at the post office, you can have security. You can live, you know, <laughs> oh, work yeah. Years. Yeah, that you was know, big, too. Yeah, government jobs. Truck driving it down here in the south. I don't know where it's going to go. But I live on the coast, Gulf Coast, where we're big on space. So I promote space because my kids, you know, my kids were raised on NASA money, right? So right, engineers and NASA money and space and you know, bogey, 12 o'clock high or 2 o'clock. You know, my husband was in the control room in NASA, you know, when uh, they had that. And then I had to – they called me up, and I, dro- I drove my little Jag XKE convertible all the way up to NASA from Pasadena to go up and hear it on myself and my ears. So I knew about UFOs and real other aliens and stuff before anybody else really admitted to it. That's part of my – like I was 16 or 17 – I was a real young bride. I had just had Angela, and I don't think Lauren, because 69, yeah, Lauren hadn't been born yet. She was born April 3rd, but we're big on that. So you guys are big on Hollywood, California, but, yeah, 
self-help. How do we help people self-help? You know how we used to go into the bookstores and read books? I don't know if people still go to bookstores. So Amazon's pretty much shut most of them down, haven't they? Now it's all inside Internet, like we're talking now, people listening to us around the world. Right. So, you, so, so you, now if you, if you want a book, now you have to take and go on to Amazon, and then they let you read the first so many pages of a book, or you can take and go to a particular chapter. But I still think that the old method, and I, I think it was Shirley MacLaine that did this one, and she said, well, oh, yeah, this is one of the messages. So a good way to get information is, is to go into a bookstore, and if a book popped and fell right in front of you, you were supposed to get that book and take it home because that book had a message for you. And I don't think people would believe that today because they just say, well, who didn't put the books away correctly? But we really believe that that was the way the message came. Yes, Rich? You know who got us into all that stuff when we were little when I'm thinking about it now? Who? It was Bewitched and Bewitched and I Dream of Genie. Oh, little kids watching those shows. I'm not kidding. We're thinking, well, look at that. that's like magical, right? Right. What else? Did we grow up looking at that stuff going, Wow, that's like magical stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Am I, I, am I, 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 I I hope we evolved past that. Well, yeah, we evolved, but it's just like someone saying, well, how'd you get into painting? Well, I was watching Bob Ross on the TV, you know. Uh-oh. What? You're telling the truth here? You never <laughs> no, told me that. No, people say that. They go, how'd you get I really like watching paintings being made by Bob Ross. My brother just told me that the other day. He goes, it's uh-huh. relaxing, you know. You know, It's not like politics or anything like that. You're just watching the guy... You know, but anyway, yeah, we're talking about millennials. TJ, where were you when they landed on the moon? Where were you at? Houston. Because everybody remembers that day. Well, she had to be in Houston. Was she right there on on site? Of <laughs> what a life she's had. Well, I think I I think her husband was part of that project. Wow. Yeah. Oh, so, she's had quite a life. It is interesting. Um, so self-help. I, so Silva, what is Silva Mind Control is still, I was looking at that not too long ago on Facebook, and Silva Mind Control is still listed as that. And didn't they say in the end that there was only five? What was your, what was your sound that you were told? What was your word? The word that every day and every way I'm getting better and better. Yeah, I know, but they gave you a, a word to meditate on. Do you remember what yours was? No, no. Forgot it. Well, it turns out I guess there was five. Oh, really? Yeah, there was only five, and everybody was given a you know a word and and so. But sil- silver mind control was it, it's still it's still available and it's still being practiced widely. Um, you know, it's just a method of. It was a it was a, a meditation method, right? Yeah, so I go. I remember asking the question, going, "What is is this like hip, hip, hypnosis? You know, uh-huh. you go into this altered state, and you." I go, "Is this kind of like hypnosis?" But yeah, it was all about just you know imagining your future and everything, and you know making your imagination work. And so I used that going through Europe. You know, I mean, finding train, you know, getting done trains on time and in places that just seem like, wow, that's pretty magical. You can show up and this would happen or that would happen. So that's, it kind of just worked being out there in the real world instead of, you know, just on pages of a book. 
Okay. But he was, but that became popular too because I guess he taught Cesar Chavez, the the guy who was the leader of the farm workers union. Oh, that's he, right. He, was, he he was big on that also, but that yeah. was a long time ago. Yeah, in the seventies, you couldn't go onto a college campus without somebody asking you to sign the petition to give um, migrant farm workers rights. And, um, right. Right, and that was the big, um, I mean, it, I mean, I'm sure the problem is just as difficult today, um, but 80% of the world's produce comes out of um, California, and so we have a different problem with the migrant worker who comes through um comes through central California, the basin of California, and works, and there's certain um, health issues that we encounter. Um, but basically, um, the people that employ these farm workers um, don't pay them enough so that they can actually, you know, do legitimate work. Don't They didn't provide them with adequate sanitation, and um, there were just many problems that were faced in that whole dilemma. It's a little bit more regulated, but um, the the world is dependent on what comes out of California. I mean, they're just completely dependent on us. So, and I don't think people think about what it actually costs to take and, you know, harvest the food. So that was that was another one of our political things. California is very political. I don't think people really understand how political California is and how um, how invested we are in the law and so forth. So. A lot of the people that I talk to, a lot of my clients are lawyers, um, judges, lawyers, um, accountants. Uh, What are some other categories that we have for our clients, Rich? Engineers. Oh, my gosh. uh, Nurses. Nurses. Huh. I think we lost TJ. Huh. Okay. Are we still on? Are we still on the show, or is it still being aired? Oh, let me call her. TJ, where did you go? Sometimes it's, she logged in with her computer, and so it's like um, it's difficult. So, talk about the self-help benefit of being an artist and pursuing the arts. Just talk about it, because that's. I mean, I really think there's a whole, it's used for healing, it's used for psychiatric patients, it's used for, um, they used it for the Holocaust survivors. I mean, art has been used, it's used now for people that have Alzheimer's. You know, talk about how that's a great self-help tool. Yeah, well, that started going to my uncle's art school in Spain, which was called the Arts and Growth Center. So it wasn't just about art, it was about a lot of things started out with yoga and vegetarian food and we had people come in who were into therapies and so it was more than just learning how to draw a lemon to look like a lemon it was more about different other things so yoga was big philosophy so yeah if you learn the philosophy of art too that's a big thing too but yeah it's just it's one of those things that encompasses many areas like I say for therapy and just people when they go and they they paint for the first time and they really enjoy it it's really pretty good because it's real honest and it's really something from their their soul something from their heart especially if like you 
you know, when you're younger, you know, you want to entertain a girl that, you know, you really loved. And so you do a real good job on it. Or like people painting pictures of their cats and stuff like that. It just makes, you know, they just, there's so much behind it. It's so fresh when they do it. It's not like they've done it a thousand times. But yeah, it's a big thing to be creative in this time we're living in right now. There's just so much outside in the world and so much going on. And personally, yeah, just painting every day just makes keeps me sane. Because otherwise, it'd just be pretty heavy just to deal with this information we're given day in and day out. So we have the news like, turned off. We have the we have we have the news on mute, and we don't have any um, news going on in our house. We don't have the television on. Uh, we don't have the computer on. We don't get the newspaper. I read the newspaper online. Um, but we're not um, – we've made a decision, and we followed this decision, that if anything uh, if anything could happen, then uh, somebody will come to our door and tell us this story. <laughs> yeah. And Jack was the first person I knew that didn't have a TV set. I mean, he was growing up. every In my home, the latest TV – we got that right away, color or big screen or whatever it was. But, yeah, Jack was the first person who made it seem normal not to have a TV set in your house. Uh, it wasn't a big deal. You can live without TV. Yeah, I think so. I think you can live without it. So, all right, um, let's – let's um, great show. You want to tell people how they can reach you, Rich? Yes, you can reach me at – pretty amazing to talk about visual arts on the radio but yeah richflynn.com richflynn.com and i'm available for commission work or eventually to paint live events and those take about eight hours but you can okay. i do it all i do it all over the country and so just give me a call i'm at 714-348-1844 but yeah, www.richflynn.com. Wow. Well, um, and it's Suzanne Wyman Flynn. I call myself the powerful psychic. I do deep readings connecting you to your soul. 714-400-7384. And um, great show. Thanks for sharing your insight, Rich. And... Um, We'll do it again really soon. Have a great day. Thank you. Goodbye. Okay, good night.